everyone. Hello. And welcome to episode 62 of the D&D Music Factory podcast. I am David. And I'm Dan. And Dan, tell everybody what we will be breaking down today. So this week, we are, we're taking you to church, um, so to speak. So this week, we decided, you know what? Pop music's fun when someone's singing it, and it's great, but Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be more fun if there were more people singing it, Mm -hmm. and all of those people were also clapping? Yes. So this week we are bringing you our 10 favorite songs with choir backing. That's right. With a, with a full choir behind them. Um, this was a, a little bit of a tough one for me to draw the line between gang vocals and choir. Agreed. Yeah, um, that was a tricky a tricky little gray area that I, you know, I found myself getting into as yeah, well. Some of them I was like pulling up, I was like, oh, I love this song. And I was like... It's not really choir. It's just a bunch of people singing. Yeah, like it's not. You know, they're not making chords with vocals. Like it's not. Right. This is just backing vocal. Like it's yeah. just a lot of backing vocal. But for it's example, not really... yeah. For example, El Scorcho. Yeah, exactly. Like you're that's like, not a choir. That's like, just a bunch of people yeah. s- drunk singing off time. Or it's just yeah. like, oh, we're gonna like to do it to make it sound fuller, sing out of key. Yeah. On this one. Yeah. And yeah. Rivers is like, oh, I got you, daddy. Um, I can do plenty of that. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a few that I was like, oh, I love that song. Eh, it's not, yeah. It's not really. Yeah. It just, really just didn't quite make it. it. Yeah. yeah. And we we uh, inadvertently used a lot of these as well, too. So, like, you know, with uh, without the ability to schedule out multiple years worth of podcasts ahead of time, uh, you know, sometimes you find yourself accidentally using things you may have wanted to save for something yeah. else. And there was definitely text back and forth <laughs> like, yeah, I chose this one. You can't choose that one. We already chose that yeah, one. Yeah, we definitely Shit. did. Yep. Like, yep, we both we both were guilty of that one. Yeah, yeah. So a bit of scrambling at the uh, the 11th hour here. Sometimes I throw those out there just because I can't remember. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, maybe you'll remember. And mm-hmm. then that way it's, it, you know, it's hive mind. Yeah. 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 And it works because now we we didn't do that, so that that's very helpful. Yeah, no repeats here. Yeah, exactly. So what we what we should do if we ha- have uh, the time for it, which we probably don't, is like almost like what's that show on AV Club uh, where they would do the covers and they would cross them out. Oh yeah, the uh, the uh, Jesus, what's that called? I can't think. AV of it. Undercover. Yes, right? there yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like cross every song off. Mm-hmm. Until like you know, so we know we're not doing it, but like that's just that's too much work. Um, but yeah, so lucky for you guys, we didn't uh, we didn't do any duplicates, so it's all fresh stuff. Um, so Dan, with that out of the way, why don't you take us to some of your B sides? What what uh, just missed the comfort you this week? All right, so some songs that I used previously, um, because I'm not sure if I used this one previously, but I thought I did, so I didn't, left it off, and because um, there are some other songs that I wanted to pick or that made this countdown. Uh, so I had uh, two words by Kanye West, uh, "Most Deaf and Freeway." Um, it's got an awesome like boys choir, like Harlem boys choir on it. But like I was like, ah, you know, I've used Kanye West already, and there's some other maybe maybe a song on here from him as well. So I I dropped that. Bury the lead, yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, Gorilla's "Dirty Harry" has like a bunch of little kids. But that's where I was like, I don't know if this is a choir, whatever. Yeah, um, that's a tricky one. So I left it off. Um, to Zion by Lauren Hill, uh, featuring nice. my boy Carlos Santana. Uh, great that's right. song, but like, I didn't really have a connection to it. Um, yeah. So I didn't want to put it on there. And then, dude, you know what? I also love uh, Madonna's "Like a Prayer." Yes. I left off of here. Uh, it's that's such a great song and like yeah it's it also it really, really funny is. how much like shit she got 
for depicting having sex with black Jesus in the 80s. Like, why would people be offended by that? Well, different times. Uh, but they fucking were. Yeah, different um, times. They, they sure were. Uh, also, dude, what's it called? Uh, this, is, this is a bit of a shameful pick. Okay. Um, Zendaya and Labyrinth, all for us, from the HBO original series Euphoria. So I, yeah, I would. You know, I don't really have any more to comment about that. It, it, <laughs> no, I, I. So I'm not caught up. So don't don't give anything away on the show. But I, I saw it come across, and I was like, it is, it's pretty good. I mean, I. But it's a, it's a show tune, so I wasn't sure if I could count that. I actively do not like that show. Um, it's I, a little bit like impossible. Yeah, I don't enjoy it. It's just not for me. It's it's. Yeah, it's a, it's a teen drama, so I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah, in yeah. this. Um, but it's also like, there's no fucking school in the world where all of them do this much drugs. I don't know. I'm like, it's, like, is this what hot rich kids do in high school? Like, I'm not sure. I wasn't a hot rich kid in high school. And like, you know, where is it fucking set? Somebody told me it's supposed to be like Milwaukee. Which makes it like, even it less likely. It is not. Yeah. Like, I thought it was like LA, and they're like, no, it's not. Yeah, see, like, that just it just doesn't see Like, everything is just too... You know, to everything's to eleven on the show. It's just yeah. it's all too unbelievable. Everyone at it's your high school, I think didn't it's have, good, but I just I don't I don't feel drawn to it. Everyone at your high school didn't have custom tailored clothes. Uh, we went to the same high school, so the answer is no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like that's it's a show I don't think. But that song's really good, and that uh whatever the title track is, that's not a bad song. Yeah, I think that dude's stuff gets old kind of quick. Because mm-hmm. they all all of his songs kind of sound the same. That labyrinth dude, yeah. Um, a lot of his music kind of sounds the same, but like that uh, that still don't know my name song. That song, yeah. That song slops, man. Yeah, it does. Slops. Um, yeah. Sorry. We started. <laughs> we said. I said it at work the other day, and it got a huge laugh. And they were like, "We should start just saying slops." I like it. So that's where I'm going. All right. Um, keep it up. So the song slops. All right. So Dave, uh, what what missed for you? What didn't you include on? Here? Uh, so uh, two that I mentioned previously one is sacrilege by yeah yeah yes that one the use of that the choir at the end of that song is incredible and i actually talked about that at length in the three-piece episode um international players anthem ugk and outcast um, <laughs> yes has a great use of it uh let's see here um unwritten by natasha benning benningfield great song uh from the new fontaine's dc record which you know i'll probably save some songs for for a couple other things this year i can think of uh this the track uh inner growth to go i think hope i'm pronouncing that right um yeah it they do um they do a tiny desk at home but they do it at the university of chicago or somewhere around chicago like in a university and have the northwestern choir do that song with them which is really cool oh shit that's pretty cool yeah it's awesome uh, no Cars Go by Arcade Fire. Didn't want to use uh, Arcade Fire back-to-back so quickly. Um, Carry That Weight by The Beatles. Uh, Heaven Only Knows by Tokyo Chance the Rapper. Uh, and somebody else. Um, oh, one that you used, uh, Somebody to Love by Queen. Uh, yep. Would have loved to have used that. Uh, Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. I felt like that was a little too close to the gang vocal yeah, thing. Yeah, too, I also, so, I also yeah. like saw that when researching a little bit, and I was like, eh, 
It's a little. Eh. It's not quite a choir. Yeah, so not it's quite. Just, not quite. Not quiet. really. Not really. I thought the so same thing with uh, "Go West's King of Wishful Thinking." Oh fuck, man! What like, a great like, song. It's not quite. Choir. No, it definitely isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like. Ugh. But what it like, is is the perfect song to transition from the '80s to the '90s. Also, if you that song if, fucking if rules. you love synthesized horns, boy, do they got it for you. Oh yeah, because those are not I'll get real horns. That song's so good. I like the newfound glory version of it too. Wow, that's saying something. (laughs) Um, And then the last one that just missed, it just felt too on the nose. Um, and I, I've talked about the Rolling Stones before, but you can't always get what you want. (laughs) It's, it's incredible. The the line from, uh, High Fidelity, immediately disqualified due to its use in the big chill. Yeah. "Oh, Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. I mean, that's a great soundtrack though, but terrible movie. Um, but yeah, I just I I, I wanted I've used the Rolling Stones already. I want to save it for something else because you know not that I'm you know not picking some low hanging fruit here, but you know I'll save that one. All right, Dan, why don't you take us over to your number five pick? All right, to start us off, this song comes to us from the year I guess technically 1991 is when the album was released. How, how do you you always do that? The single. The single what wasn't released. When did it come out? <laughs> the single it wasn't released as a single for like three more years. Oh, but when did it come out? So it came out in '93. Okay. Um, with the film Free Willy, uh, you may know this song by Michael Jackson. It's called "Will You Be There?" Parentheses oh, theme from Free Willy. Um, so here's the crazy shit, dude. This is the fucking eighth single from Dangerous. This man's a god. Jesus Christ. Like, he may have done a lot, a lot of dirty shit, but like writing yeah. pop songs is his jam. Yeah. Um, he may have lived like ancient gods were described. Dude. <laughs> dude, he like, he, there's like a spoken word, like poem prayer at the end of this too. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Um, it's all like, promise you'll be there. But it's like his like fully like fully weird. tuned up fucking face. So he like, yeah. he talks like Liza Minnelli. Yeah. Like it's it's so it sounds like a person that like had their face taken off like fucking Silence of the Lambs talking, which he kind of did. Yeah. Um. So this album version clocks in at seven minutes and forty one seconds, making it the longest hit in Michael Jackson's solo discography. Longest song. Never wrote a song that long. So that's confusing because Thriller is long by its extended version. Because of the music video. Yes. So I think we always think of Thriller being a much longer yeah. song. Thriller, the, the movie, I think the movie is like 15 minutes, Something 20 like minutes. Because it's got that extended like bow bow scene. Where yeah, just, like, it has do, the whole movie theater oh, and then yeah. the like and chasing the through the house. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas this is, the album version of the song is his longest song. Crazy. Um, How much of it is him just whispering, like doing ASMR at the end? Oh, dude. Uh, maybe like maybe like 30 seconds. Okay. But there's just oh, a lot so, of, there's a lot of choir with him doing nothing except just kind of like woo, yeah. and like just being, like, being it's him. great yeah Shimona Shimona <laughs> but it's it's great man it's I actually mean, Chris Tucker yeah like how do you not get hype on this song like I know a whale jumping out of the cove to free itself over top of a boy extending his hand in slow motion fuck man Tillicum Tillicum the whale we all saw Blackfin, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know about that whale, how it killed people? Yeah. That whale is sick, dude. Um, look, fuck those people that mistreated him. And 
I'm glad that he escaped and killed someone. Learned a lot about whale sperm in that documentary. <laughs> yes. A lot of good sperm facts in that one. But sucks how Tilikum met his end. If you haven't seen Blackfin, yeah. go ahead and watch it. It's pretty much the reason SeaWorld no longer exists. Yeah. It's yeah, great because it's like, oh, you mean this 30-foot creature doesn't have a satisfying life living in a 20-by-20-foot 20 20 pen? Yeah. Like, imagine that. Um, and there's such, like, ferocious killing machines. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't even have the opportunity to, like, scoop up baby seals and eat them. And toss them in the air. Like, the balls. Yeah. It's horrific. Roll around um, each other. So according to the director uh, of Free Willy, Simon Winter, um, he had a conversation with a magazine, and he said the idea of affording a Michael Jackson song was insane. And yeah. it wasn't until they showed an advanced screening to the Disney execs that they were like, we think you're going to need a big hit. We want you to talk to Michael. And he was like, Michael who? And they were like, Michael. And he was like, no. It's a, it's a really funny like back and forth interview where he's like, you, you clearly don't mean Jackson. Yeah. But it was so close to the movie coming out. Mike didn't have enough time to write anything. So he's like, what if we like just chop this up for a single and we use that? And it ended up like, you know, we all saw the trailer. We all saw the movie. We've like, all cried. It was super yeah. powerful, man. Yeah. Um, great, great movie. It's amazing. Um, about a little boy being best friends with a whale. Yeah. Uh, peaked at number seven on the Billboard charts because it's a Michael Jackson song in the 90s. Yeah. So, of course, it did. Yeah. And we're getting to the little prayer conversation now in my headphones. Oh, yeah, getting, so, yeah, it's let's move on to your pick, Dave, for number five for a song with a choir. All right, up at number five for me is Oh Children by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, another pretty pretty long song. This one's almost seven minutes, um, so not quite the uh, the length of yours, but uh, but still pretty good. Um, I've actually I've mentioned this song kind of in passing in a previous episode uh, when talking about Nick Cave for the Over Ten Records episode. Um, I mentioned that this was another one of my favorites and probably one of his more popular songs um, and definitely one that uses the choir to its more I'm not he's got a lot of music so I'm not an expert in all of it but this is one of the few that I can recall that really uses this in his music so it's it's not a very common thing for him which is cool because um, he's normally just this angry super miserable guy to have like the choir behind it kind of like feels like you've got this uplifting soulful thing happening with him being like this miserable uh, C word um, but it, it works perfectly in this song and especially with how clearly this song is about death yes and about coming to terms with it yeah um, that it's 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 a very fitting yeah and just about like how I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of negative things that you can take from from the lyrics of this song of just being like, just seeing the whole world from an adult's point of view and just being like, this fucking sucks. Like, and just wanting, and, or not even being able to see it as what it used to be as a child. And, and like a child sees it now and thinks the same thing. And you're just like, man, we fucking ruined it for these fucking kids. Yeah. Like, which also sucks. Not that like any Nick song, Nick Cave song is very happy ever. Um, no. But it's almost, it's almost like in eulogy for what you used to think the world was. Yes. Yeah, like a, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, That's a great way to put like it. Like a, a, a letter to someone growing up and realizing. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. Like, of listen. course. Yeah. We've all known. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe you just figured this out. Or, or, or just like, it, you know, it's it's tough, but you have to learn this now. 
Exactly, yeah. We all yeah. go through it. It's a, you this know, is a coming of age. Yeah, exactly. So this is, um, this is from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, and from one of their more popular albums, Avatar Blues slash The Liar of Orpheus. Um, it came out in 2004. They, were, they started in the 80s, I think. Um, and have been putting out music for decades. And really didn't pick up steam until like the early 2000s, like 2010s. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, I certainly didn't know about them before that age, so I can't say why they weren't more popular when they were, you know, first doing stuff. But yeah, I think he, he's like a, you know, he was sort of like a a Towns Van Zant kind of guy, where like sure. the deep heads knew about him, and sure. like deep songwriters were like, oh yeah, Nick Cave from Australia, yeah, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's married to PJ Harvey. Still. Um, no. That's right, yeah. Um, I think we talked about that, too. Yeah, they had, like, a horrific... Yeah, yeah. Not a horrific divorce, but just, like... You know, he's not a very pleasant guy. Yeah, and he was like, we were two, like, narcissist addicts. Oh, that's right. You like, t- there would have found out, or something, right? Yeah, and he said, yeah, like, yeah. when I found out she left me, I nearly dropped my syringe. <laughs> Which, like, is just yeah. the most Nick Cave thing he could have he's ever insane. said. Um, so, what I... The reason that I brought this up, or part of the reason that I brought this up in the previous episode is because it was used... In a very important scene in Harry Potter, uh, in, in the last film, I believe, right? The nope, sorry, second to last, the seventh one. So it's the part one of the Deathly Hollows. There's a scene where Hermione and um, Ron, is it Ron, she dances with. I don't remember. It's either Ron or Harry that she dances with in the forest before Harry gets there or after he gets there. And um, it was kind of odd the uh the music supervisor for the harry potter movies is named matt biffa and he started like feeling attached to the song because during this process of putting the movie out he and his wife were going through a divorce and he had two kids and so he was kind of like i guess seeing how miserable they were becoming while his while their parents went through a divorce and kind of like learning that you know it's one of those you've got to grow up pretty quickly kind of moments, I guess, for them. So he just, it, it, it drew him to it and made him want to include it in the song. And it ended up being like a pretty pretty awesome moment in the movies, I thought. Because they really didn't use like pop pop music outside. And I mean pop music is in like songs that were written outside of four films. Yeah. Like it was really just a score. The Mostly time. scoring. Yeah. So, <coughs> excuse me, to have a song be in the, you know the, the second to last movie at one of the more important scenes it's pretty cool and it fits the scene perfectly it's sad and dark just like Nick Cave and every song he's ever written yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love him I, mean, I do too yeah The Boatman's Call is still like one of my favorite it's just so dark like he's yeah. so it's so, it's like it's like evil doo like it's yeah like what he does is so interesting it is really really his, neat his lack of interest in Modernizing or changing his sound. I mean, his his sound has evolved slightly, especially the mm-hmm. stuff he did with uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, the guy he like collaborates with all the time. His, Brian. His Atticus Finch. I can't think of his name. No, it's, I don't know why I want to say Brian Ferry, but it's not Brian. Ferry. No, no. Uh, it doesn't. I guess. Yeah. But um, he would do like uh, some soundtracks and stuff. With it's, I, I want to say Nicola. It's not Nicola. But. Uh, his stuff is definitely updated, but he's still got this, like, I don't know, like, this old-timey quality to his music that yeah. I really dig. I think maybe that's why it took a long time for him to become more popular, because it, he needed to grow into the 
old man that he's always been and been writing music as. And yeah. Like, it's like Alec Baldwin. He had to like grow into that ridiculous voice. Yeah, that when makes sense. Was, when he was 23, you're like, this guy sounds like an asshole. Yeah. But when he's 45, <laughs> you're like, okay. Oh, that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I see him wearing a suit. It all adds up now. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's, uh, yeah, you're probably miserable now too, Nick Cave. All right, uh, Dan, take <laughs> us over to your number four pick. All right, number four for me. This couldn't be more the opposite of Nick Cave. Um, this is a band that I think exudes fun and positivity and joy. And I like them so much. Um, this comes to us from the year 2002. This is the Polyphonic Spree off of their album, The Beginning Stages of the Polyphonic Spree. The beginning Stages of dot, 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 ellipses. Mm-hmm. I always forget that that's called ellipses. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so... And the song is called Light and Day slash Reach for the Sun. You may know it as the Polyphonic Spree song. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It's the one we all know. But it's so powerful and uplifting and fun and, like, great, man. I can't, like, who can listen to this song and not put a smile on their face? Like, I feel like this is the musical equivalent of Sunshine. Like, you Ooh. can feel the warmth on you when this song plays. It's so fucking good, and it's it's a great story, too, of this group. So they're a choral rock band from Dallas, Texas. They were formed in 2000 by their uh, singer and songwriter, Tim DeLauder. Basically, he started the band because he was in a previous group called Tripping Daisy, and their guitarist OD'd on drugs. Oh, shit. And he basically created this band as a result of that and wanting to express the feelings he had. Wow. And so... He created the Polyphonic Spree. It has like, dude, this record, it has like over 40 people as contributors. Wow. Uh, But his big thing was he wanted flutes and horns and tambourines and unusual instruments. And he wanted it to be almost in the sense of like the association and ELO and like Fifth Dimension where he was like, I want this big cacophonous sound. Mm -hmm. But it's also... They wear um, the signature white robes, but that's their their big thing. Um, they performed with a ton of people, and their big thing that they did was when they recorded this album, it was done initially as a demo, just so they could get people to book live performances on it. Oh, wow. Because he was like, we're not really going to be like a record band. We're just going to be a thing that you see. Yeah. Almost like when you see like those Woodstock performances of like the People's Rainbow like Saffron Choir. Like, that's what he wanted to be. And he was like, yeah, man, it's just going to be great. Like, we're just going to tote around and perform. So they recorded this kind of like on a lark with 12 other musicians. Oh, wow. And that demo ended up, he played it for some people, and they were like, you should get this mastered and release it. So they did. And then their label dropped them for a lack of sales. But (laughs) the big thing that got Weird, almost like going through that without planning it properly should have worked yeah they uh they got a spot and performed at south by southwest in austin texas and it was it was like huge response to it the industry industry quote unquote Mm -hmm. was like holy shit this is something new and incredible and weird and we have to capitalize on it and david bowie's uh main collaborator heard them at there and invited him to them to come and play meltdown festival oh wow that he curated in london that year and that was like the big blow up. And I first heard this song while watching um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yep, great soundtrack. Is where I heard this song and went, 
oh my god this is like what a great weird song like where do i find this mm-hmm. and went and saw it and i was like who the fuck is this yes. and then i saw their music <laughs> videos and i was like what is happening yeah like is this real yeah like what's going on and it turns out it was i didn't but, know i was high yeah, yeah right like <laughs> like this band doesn't take drugs this band is drugs <laughs> but they really don't have um like there there aren't typically song titles okay for them um so with a lot of the records that they started um they would just originally name them things like section 1 section 2 section 3 and then they re-released it for the beginning stages and gave all the songs names oh neat because like i guess that was seen as being too weird so they went huh. and named them Okay. But then on their follow-up albums, they're like called a section 11, 12, 13, 14, because the whole record is supposed to be the performance. Right. That makes so sense. So it's like, it's more, these are movements within the, you know, within the, uh, the opera that we perform. Gotcha. So that's kind of how they treated them. And it's really funny that after that, you see that the albums all have a song title, but then it's like in parentheses will be the the actual name of it, which I think is yeah. pretty funny. That's neat. But if you haven't heard this band, you got to check them out, man. They're really cool, really weird. Um, right after this record came out, they got dropped from their label for record sales. Crazy. Um, and it was really strange. They were used in a ton of stuff, uh, especially this song was used on Scrubs in the Murder Ball documentary about wheelchair rugby. <laughs> um, it's been in a ton of shit. It's definitely too happy for that, but okay. I don't know, man. That documentary was great. It was really happy. Uh, it was really <laughs> intense and scary, too, but like, it was excellent. So, uh, Dave, with that, what is your fourth pick for a song with a choir? All right. Up at number four for me is All These Things That I've Done by The Killers. Um, first time we've ever mentioned them on here. I don't know what your thoughts are on the band, uh, but I'm assuming you're not a fan. I actually love The Killers. Cool. Me too. But um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I much prefer... Uh, I like this song, but I much prefer Sam's Town. Yeah, I do too. As their record, and then yeah, I'm a definitely. really big fan of Sawdust too. Is Spaceman on? No, Sawdust is like uh, Spaceman's my favorite. It's song like of all like B sides and cuts and covers. Oh, okay. So like uh, their cover of Shadow Play is on there, oh. or uh, Tranquilize with Lou Reed okay. is on that, and then their cover of. Uh, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits is oh. like one of my favorite covers. I don't ever. know that I've ever heard that. I'll have to check oh, that it's, one out. It's great, man. I feel like, yeah, the Killers were like the biggest band in the world, and yet nobody talks about them. Yeah, unless it's you're really in strange. England, where Mr. Brightside is still like a top 10 hit. Probably, yeah. Like, it's still in their Billboard 100. That's it's crazy. Um, but I love them. I'm glad you do, too, so we, we can talk about them fondly. So, this is uh, from their debut album, Hot Fuss. It came out in 2004. This was actually released as the third single from the album. Um, And the choir in here is a group called the Sweet Inspirations. And the Sweet Inspirations, Dan... um, Where are they from, Dave? They (laughs) consisted of some people named Emily Sissy Houston. uh, uh, Maiden name is Dinkard. She is the mother of Whitney Houston... And the sister of Lee Warwick, who is God herself damn. the mother of Dee Dee and Dionne Warwick. Wow. So, yeah, pretty impressive uh, lineup of people singing in this um, 
in this choir, which is pretty cool. For day, for day good. Yeah, not bad, right? So, um, I kind of always assumed, I never really looked into this song before, but I always assumed it was like kind of about somebody. Um, and it is. So, there was a television host named Matt Pinfield. Oh my god, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yo, what's going on? It's Matt Pinfield. Yeah, he was on MTV. Yeah, he was on MTV for years and years. He was their like metal guy. Yeah, he was. And so, he in the early 2000s, I guess, um, left like the television side of things and became the vice president of A&R at Columbia. And at that point, the killers were just kind of becoming a thing. And he uh, was in Vegas and saw them and was pushing hard for Columbia to sign them. Um, but he wasn't able to do it, I guess, quickly enough. Um, because then he started working. I'm not sure exactly how the timeline lines up, but he started working with um, soldiers uh, and people who were in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars in the army who were also musicians and then coming back <laughs> excuse me and like helping them almost like a, not like a wounded warrior or kind of like a wounded like warrior like a non-profit sort of yeah thing. kind of but it was people who came back with PTSD and were musicians you know before either before they got there or when they were there or, I don't know what the uh, qualifiers were but it was you know it was still something within music and I think that was a very like unique group of people probably that were you know not not your everyday you know soldier over there um you know people that had a musical background so they um they started hanging out and he was working hard to sign sign them and he was discussing things with brain of flowers the um the singer and songwriter for, for the killers and um he just kind of told him his story and he brain went on to, to write this song about him and the chorus is definitely the coolest part of this song. Or the choir part is definitely the coolest part of the song, I yeah. think. And I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Is definitely like a, you know, one of the more memorable like rock anthem kind of things of the early 2000s. Yeah. Especially with how fucking huge this song was at and, the time. And with its heavy use in, uh, I want to say the 2010 Olympics. I. It was maybe? like the theme. Yeah. Like all the commercials for like Nike and Adidas like had this song. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very widely used, and like I said, I don't really talk about them anymore, which is crazy. I mean, they don't really put out a ton of music at, at all right they, now. I don't know the what Killers. They're... They have put out two albums in the last four years. Have they really? They have. Yeah, just I did not know that. I don't think anyone cares. It's yeah, tough. It's probably like they did, uh, wonderful, wonderful, and Pressure Machine. Wow. I work at a store that sells them. Nobody buys them. I'll still sell two copies a week of Hot Fuss. Yeah, and none of those. Yeah, no, that's no sad. one's buying those two. The last song I remember liking of theirs was like a Christmas song they did for like Jimmy Fallon or something like that. Yeah, and that was probably like eight years ago. Yeah, I remember I saw um, a Seth Meyers that I tried to find on YouTube or on Hulu afterwards, where it was Brendan Flowers and a guy playing guitar, okay, solo, and he did. Like a stripped down version of When You Were Young. Oh, cool. That was gorgeous. Oh, I bet. But I can't find it anymore. Nah, it doesn't stinks. exist. Especially NBC or such fucking dickheads. Yeah, they're they're about not streaming cool about stuff anything. and like clips. Yeah, that's really fucking So I was like, stupid, even put honest. it on your own official one so you get ad money. Like, yeah, don't dicks. they isn't that peacock? Just let me like, hear can't it. we just go on peak like you should be able to do that, whatever they're fucking assholes. Uh, anyway, but the killers are a great band and I, I, I was actually very enjoyable listening to them getting ready for this episode because it's been a long time since I've really like 
dug in deep on it. So, all right, Dan, take us over to your number three pick. My number three pick comes to us from, I guess the year is 2007. Um, originally from... What do you mean you guess? When did it come out, Dan? <laughs> well, like, so... <laughs> it, it gets so, released on a day. Are we talking... So, not the original... The original version is from far before it. No, the version we're talking about. However, was this it? version is from 2007. Then that's when it um, came out. This is across the... Uni- <laughs> this is from the movie Across the Universe. And it is their version of Let It Be, as it was performed and written for the movie. Um, this is... One of the most heartbreaking scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, yeah, it was rough. Um, the song is performed by Carol Woods and Timothy T. Mitchum. That's the little boy. That is the little boy. Yeah, he's real good. Um, and it is set during a funeral scene to show the strife of both families involved in it and the times of the 60s of a family losing a son to Vietnam and a family losing a son to the civil rights movement hmm. and to aggression against black America. And it is a scene that opens with a little boy in a riot hiding next to a car. And then a woman getting a letter from the military telling them that their son's passed and they're all at the funeral. And it like hits this, this peak when she is handed the folded flag. And then at the funeral for the, uh, the at this like black Baptist church, it pans out and you see that it's the funeral of the little boy, and it's like so powerful. This yeah. woman's voice on this is insane. When she hits that, I wake up to the sound of music. Like I still I have goosebumps right now yeah, just talking too. about this. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's so powerful. Her voice is insane, and this is a song that is such a perfect use in that scene it yeah they nailed it they of like it. of just a song trying to bring people peace um and some grace in a time of like insane strife and it's it's perfect man. um right here when she hits that high note mm-hmm. it's just it's so gorgeous man um yeah. that i really can't say enough about it it's originally by the beatles if you don't know the song obviously <laughs> I don't, yeah, you better I don't fucking know, know to, who it's about i don't know what to tell you um but it is so it's really funny because it's pretty much the last Beatles song um, with, yeah, yeah. with Let It Be being the last studio recorded album they released yeah. um, with with Abbey Road being what it is and kind of compilation wise. Uh, but this is definitely what is considered the final Beatles album yes. uh, recorded in the studio. Yeah. So this I mean, to end on this high of a note. To be the song that I will often refer to as the Beatles song. Like if someone's like, what's like the, like, oh, I've never, if some fucking insane person is like, I've never really heard the Beatles. Yeah. You'd be like, I mean, this is the song. This is the song that is probably yeah. their legacy. You're definitely not st- starting with fucking like, uh, yeah. Obla D or like piggies. Yeah. Like, so it's like, <laughs> this is the song that like, there's no way you haven't heard this. Yeah. Um, it's huge. It's also like one of the reasons why people always make fun of, John Lennon with like writing songs about peace and love and like, you know, while simultaneously being a human piece of garbage. That's uh, not it's go like that interesting. far. He didn't write this one first. He all. also didn't write this song, but yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a meme at least, uh, for sure. But 
That's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about songs. Yeah. So, Dave, for you, what is your number three pick? Number two pick. Number three. Number three pick for a song with a choir. All right, up at number three for me is the appropriately named uh, after your anecdote about the movies, Young Americans by David Bowie. Um, you know, piggybacking off of what you just said, like it's kind of funny that the song title's about young people. Maybe this one, the, this song's not about struggling. It's just a funny bit of coincidence that was the name of it. Um, so this came out in 1975 off of the album Young Americans by David Bowie. And this was really like kind of a turning point in his uh, yeah, songwriting. This, and this is the end of Ziggy. Career. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the end of the glam uh, style that Bowie had started his career with and, you know, kind of marked a turning point in his musical style and writing. And it didn't always sound this upbeat uh, after that, uh, as we've noted in other episodes when talking about songs like Heroes and and the whole Berlin era. Um, but this one is it's just a beautiful piece of music and the chorus is so prominent in this song. The choir is so prominent in this song. Yeah. It really is for me going forward with my list. I wanted to include songs where it's it's almost like an inescapable part of the, the song. The song can't exist without the choir in this one, for sure. Um, so this is actually um, his first top 40 hit in the United States. It had taken him over a decade to get to this point. Um, and I, you know, I can imagine that that was probably very frustrating. And, you know, kind of a tongue-in-cheek song called Young Americans ends up being the one that gets you to the top of the chart. Not the top of the chart, but gets you on the top 40. Yeah. Here is kind of... This was also like his first record where he wasn't... You know, in a lycra one piece with like mascara. And, true. Like, yeah, true. Very you know, he, true. He toned it down. He did. But I, I don't think he toned it down because it was just because glam was over. So it was like I, I gotta think find was, something else. Yeah, I think it was still very androgynous in the thin white Duke era. Yeah, but he looked like Tilda Swinton. Yeah, or does Tilda Swinton look like David Bowie? Chicken or the egg? Chicken or right? the egg? Yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that there's some truth to that, and a lot of it too was his love for soul music and his desire to do something like that i mean i feel like he as an artist was probably somebody that would look at things as you know this is this is the point in time when i do this and then i move on to something new now like yeah. that part of me is done was just as interested in the animals as he was james brown yes you know, yeah so, so like, like oh, i want to try that yeah and wanted to have that like american soul sound that you know he was he, he was admittedly a big fan of so he he referred to his sound. I think other people called it like blue-eyed soul and like had other names for it. He referred to it as plastic soul, which I think is the most Bowie term you could use for something that you're doing. Like, like you know, he's just a robot essentially yeah. kind of doing this. It's I'm just, just manufacturing it. Yeah, so it's perfect Bowie. A great tongue-in-cheek move. Yeah. Um, so interestingly for us uh, as people who live where we are, this was actually... Originally, at least most of this record started uh, at Sigma Sound Studios in Philadelphia with Tony Visconti as the producer in 1974. So that's a pretty unusual landing spot for somebody like Bowie, but you never know. Dude, I met a, I met a lady who told me that she was one of the Sigma kids, which would oh, really? be a group of kids. They would just sit outside the studio all day. And she said, and like Bowie never said hey to them, would just walk right past them, never acknowledge them. And then the final day that he did recording, 
they brought all of them up, ordered them pizza, and let them hear the record. That's fucking cool. And I was like, that's so fucking cool. Was Bowie cool. there? No. She said he okay. wasn't there. But he, but he told the producers and everybody, I want you to bring the kids up. Yeah. I want you to sit them in the studio, and I want you to play the record for them. So I picture him being like... they sat outside all day when yeah, he was there. That's super cool. I, yeah. I, I'd like to believe that. And that he was, like, paying for and he, it. And he appreciates it, but, like, you know, I don't want to hang out with 200 people that all, right. like, I, I want picture... to grab me and pull my hair. And, like, yeah. You know, yeah. And ask, cool. me to, ask me to say words because they sound funny to them. Or, like, you know, yeah. yeah or just, like, you know, is, is it true when you said, that, like, this? Yeah, like, yeah. So he just said tomato. Look at this freak. Yeah, um, I picture Bowie almost like a character actor. Where he, like, gets into this mindset and then, like, you know, like, you hear about, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, locking himself in the, a hotel room with a wolf or whatever the fuck he does. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just picture him, like, that's his, like, he's got to be 100% on the ball while he's doing this. Yeah. He can't have any outside distractions of any kind unless it's cocaine and tons of women and men. I think... Yeah, like you, you walk out of the studio with like blinders on, like j- like I'm not even looking at these kids. I'm getting in the limo and I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, and then I'm coming right back and starting tomorrow, mm-hmm. and only thinking about this in the meantime. Yeah. So I like to think that like that's how he is, and then once it's over, he's like, "All right, treat them kids to something special." And then at the end, he was like, uh, "I was thinking of it like when she told me, I was like, oh, it's like uh, Gandalf at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, and all the little kids are like Gandalf's here, Gandalf's here, and he yeah. just rides past and doesn't acknowledge, and him. then lights the fucking and then when firework. he gets off, he sets the fireworks. Yeah." Off. So That's a good analogy like, too. Yay! Yay! Like and he's just like, <laughs> as he's smoking his weed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so fucking David Gandalf. Bowie's Gandalf. Essentially. Yeah. The gray or the white? Oh, definitely the white. Yeah, definitely the white. Yeah, he's definitely the white. Yeah. Nobody really wants to be Gandalf the gray, to be fair. No. Less I mean, wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not and you get taken advantage of too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, obviously, that's not what you want. All right, cool. Dan, take us over to your number two pick. All right, number two for me will certainly be our weirdest song on this countdown. This song comes to us from the decidedly 2009, David, um, by an artist it's de- called it, Dead it Man's It has a date. They all have dates. They came out. They were released on a day. <laughs> it's, uh, they're this, all technically released on those An days. artist, a self-titled album called Dead Man's Bones, and this song is called My Body is a Zombie for You. It is so. If you don't know Dead Man's Bones, we spoke about them before in our B sides, but it is a duo consisting of Zach Shields and actor Ryan Gosling. Now they were. This album was released on October sixth from Anti Records, and the entire album is a collaboration with the Silver Lake Conservatory Children's Choir, uh, which was a school in Los Angeles founded by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is super dope. And uh, Gosling performs under the alias of Baby Goose, um, as he's credited on this album. Um, it is a weird, mysterious kind of anti-pop. Yeah. Um, very much reminds me of a Nick Cave um, yeah. in its strange kind of 60s soul sound, mm-hmm. but like warped through a very strange lens of spooky Halloween time um, which was intentional the, yeah. the two of these, these two members um, met and performed met and were interested because they both had like 
um, very interesting experiences with ghosts and hauntings as children. So much as Ryan uh, Gosling was forced to move from his childhood home because his parents believed a haunting was affecting him. Wow. As a child, as like a three-year-old kid. So they both were obsessed with that and thought they would write an album kind of dealing with that. And they titled it Monster Mash. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And like, they were obsessed with like, um, with like the Disney theory of like the haunted mansion ride, and they thought, why don't we make a record that sounds like it would be playing there, like still very fun and childlike, but with like a very strange, yeah, creepy undertone, which I think they perfectly captured. You here. can't spell creepy without children. Yeah. Like children doing like chanting things or like yeah. singing nothing, in unison. Yeah. That's that shit'll keep you up at yeah. night. Yeah. At two in the afternoon, a child's laughter, amazing. Yeah. Two in the morning, most terrifying thing you yeah. could ever hear. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, oh sorry, go on. No no no. So I was gonna say, so the coolest thing about this record that I found while researching it is the pair chose to play all the instruments themselves, even if they had never touched it before. So any horns or things that you hear on here, they essentially taught themselves to play or just were like, I'm going to do my best and we'll see how it happens. But it's Goss God, so you knew it was going to come out great because there's fucking nothing this guy can't do, apparently. They, they also imposed rules on themselves, such as they didn't play to a click track and they would do no more than three takes on any song. Okay. So they thought that the imperfections and shortcomings would be part of the music it's part of the character of what they were creating I mean, it makes sense especially um, if you're trying to make it sound childlike yeah absolutely and the best part of this uh, that I saved for the end is Gosling's use of a children's choir was cited as an inspiration for the band Behemoth to do the same for the opening track of their 2018 album I Loved You at Your Darkest that's amazing um, that opens with children saying about how they don't believe in God and be gone Christ and that was the inspiration was this record, which is incredible, and I love it. Uh, but this album is very weird, very cool. Um, I can't recommend it enough, man. You really can't find it too much. Um, mm. It goes in and out of print a lot. Uh, I think it's sense. it might be available right now for not crazy expensive, but at one point this thing was selling for like 75, 80 bucks. Oh, wow. So if you can find one, get your hands on it, buy it, listen to it. It's really strange. I guarantee there's not another record in your collection that sounds like it. Yeah, I, I was going to add, too. I don't know if you were, were going to mention this, but it's kind of funny that Goss God had these issues as a kid and then was on Are You Afraid of the Dark as an older kid. Yep. It's kind of unusual to, like, lean, to like face your fears like that, I guess. But he is, like, literally a perfect person, so it's not surprising that he probably got over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's a great dude. Like, his best movies are the ones where he doesn't talk. Which is really interesting. He pulls um, it off. He does. But I think he's. I mean, are we? Is are any of us going there to hear him speak, Dan? I don't know. Man. Or are I we mean, going there to stare at him? I think he's pretty surprisingly funny. Um, he is. He's a great actor. I, I remember think. there was a recent thing that people were like, "Oh, who's like the coolest celebrity to like embrace punk rock?" And they're like, "I think it was like this guy that uh, showed up at like this like uh, this like rancid show." And everyone's like, "Are you forgetting about Goss God being at the American Nightmare reunion in Boston?" Because Everyone there talks about how he was just in the pit with them. It's amazing. Like he wasn't like with wasn't, security and like, yeah, like held back in the back. He yeah. was like, "Fuck that man! This band mattered to me when I was seventeen. I'm fucking yeah. it up." 
<laughs> I love the. Let's uh, mix it up, you jagoffs. <laughs> I think it started with him wearing a Metallica T-shirt, and then Macaulay Culkin wore a T-shirt of Ryan Gosling wearing a Metallica T-shirt, and then they just kept like you know staring in a mirror while there's another mirror behind you. Yeah, kind of deal. Like they doing... just kept doing more and more shirts of each other wearing shirts of That's each other really wearing funny. shirts. It was hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah Goss God's perfect. I don't he think. Perfect, I don't dude. think there's any of his movies I don't like. So with that, Dave. What is your number two pick for a song with a choir? All right. Uh, completely in contrast to what you described with the Behemoth record, up at number two for me is Ultralight Beam by Kanye West. Um, Y'all motherfuckers need Jesus. Another, yeah. <laughs> I definitely do after hearing all that blasphemy, Dan. Um, just like... Def- all right, so definitely not my favorite Kanye record. Not even close. But this song... Fucking rules. Might be the might be the best Kanye opener. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm ready to. I don't know if I'm able to say that. It's really good. It's definitely the best part of the record, in my opinion, and it uses the choir perfectly. Like I said to you before we started, I can't think of choir without thinking of gospel and without thinking of like the black church music and the inspiration that has on so much music that we all listen to so that had to be and was always going to be at the forefront of anything i thought of for this list and this has a very both with its lyrical content and its sound and it's all very much a choir and, and a church choir and I think that that's like you know if, if you think about like American music that's a big part like a really really not talked about but big part of music bands like Krungabin uh, that we've talked about in previous episodes they met by playing in church choirs like there's so many bands that you can yeah. name that electric guitar as you know it in current times like so, sister rosetta tharp yeah like so much played in her church choir so much of music and so much of musicianship comes from people growing up in these environments and you know being a part of this their whole life and just becoming you know super talented because they're they're doing it around other people singing constantly and playing music and that's this song really captures the the, the the gospel aspect of the choir. Um, I think in a, it, definitely more so in any other song on my list, and probably more so than any other song that you would consider like a pop song, I would guess is the, the way I want to explain it. So, um, This is from Kanye's seventh studio album, The Life of Pablo, came out in 2016. Um, it is... It also includes vocals from The Dream, Kelly Price, who is just wrapping up now if I time this properly, and Chance the Rapper. Um, It also has gospel singer Kirk Franklin and his 10-piece choir um, that that also get credit in this song. And there's a lot of Chance the Rapper songs because he has a lot of religious aspects to his music that include choirs. So it fits with really everybody that's involved in this in a really unique way that makes this song so fucking good. 
Um, <laughs> this is probably one of the most insane things I've ever seen on somebody's Wikipedia page, just because of how silly it is. It said, <laughs> Kanye's wife Kim listed the track among her 28 favorite songs by her now ex-husband in 2016. What a ridiculous thing. This is one of her top 30 songs from her ex-husband. Like, that's not a, like, I don't care who you are. That's not really like a, like a, that's not something you brag about. Like, my ex-wife put this in my top 30 things I did. Like, I would, I would ask that to be removed. Um, this, uh, this does have a little bit of, uh, controversy, uh, which is kind of, you know, unique to Kanye West, um, because he seems to... Yeah, he usually keeps his nose clean. Good guy. All, all the time, yeah. yeah. So the uh, the little girl that's speaking in the beginning of the song says, we don't want no devils in this house, we need the Lord, was taken from Instagram. And um, he apparently reached out. The girl was adopted. And he found the girl's Instagram and somehow found her birth mother and decided to ask her, even though she had nothing to do with the girl anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean... Legally, I guess. I, I don't want to say nothing to do. I don't, you know, that's not, I'm not going to stick my nose in there. But not the person who can go out handing out permission for their child to do stuff because somebody else is their legal guardian. He never reached out to the adoptive parents and they were like, what the fuck? We didn't give you permission. So there was a whole lawsuit. And I don't know why the fuck he thought that that was the right thing to do, but... It's Kanye, so of course it was going to get muddy and weird in some strange ways. Yeah, man. I also love that uh, what's his name was in the session for this song, Bieber, Bieber and they and he didn't fucking cut him. They cut it. It was amazing. <laughs> like yeah. Mm, no. Yeah. Bieber and uh, what's his boy's name, Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear. Yeah, he's got like this this guy that like writes all of oh, the songs with yeah, yeah. Bieber. Yeah, they they his were both Pooh involved Bear. and they didn't. He's like a Benny Blanco type. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, I know. I know who you're talking about now. And I, like, I they were both involved with it and he cut him. Yeah. Honestly, like, I, you know, uh, Guilty Pleasures, Bieber's up there for me for some of his music. Um, I definitely don't this, think this song would have been better with him. I think no. it was, I think it was left, I think it was, it was done perfectly. I wouldn't have changed a thing. I think adding a, like, you know, slimy little Canadian white kid to this gospel song would have kind of uh, removed some of the shine from the other aspects of the song that I enjoy. So I'm glad it wasn't part of it. And like uh, even Kelly Price was saying like, basically she's like, I heard 20 different versions of this song. Oh, I bet. She's like, it wasn't until he literally uploaded it and like sold it. Yeah. That, that like, knew that the was final the final one version. Was. That makes sense. That's it's like, he kept changing Kanye it and right working there. on it. Yeah. But I mean, even after he released Pablo and put it out, he took it down from streaming platforms and then re-uploaded his revised version. He's a lunatic. Because he's... He's a fucking lunatic. I mean, he's, he's a person with a mental illness who doesn't have people around him that care enough to help him or is just refusing help. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'm not going to tell anybody what he is or isn't. I don't know what the Kardashians are like in real... You would assume your wife would want to help you. But at the same time, you get more publicity needing help. So, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I think I've said before, I think some of it's character and that he's playing a character in a lot of ways. Um, I think most people probably at his level have to because, you know, it's essentially a brand. Like, your presence on social media is a brand. You are who you are. 
and you're selling yourself more than you're selling your music at that point. Um, and I think he's just leaning really far into it. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure, you know, one day we'll all find out. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll be like one of those great American mysteries that we never discover, like JFK or UFOs or something like that. It's like what, what Kanye was really like. Dan, it's time for your number one pick. Okay. Number one for me is... Great fucking song. Is... It's not even close. This is my favorite song that has a choir on it. Um, So it's not even like, this is my favorite one I could find in time for the show. It's like, when I suggested this category, I was like, this is the first song that came to mind. From 2002's Quality by Talib Kweli. This is just to get by. Yeah, fucking perfect like, album. There is very few hip hop songs that I feel are this catchy or hit this hard. Yeah. It's it's crazy, man. Um, I could probably do the first three minutes just with no music. Yeah, if gun, you just let gun me, to my head, I might be able to do all the lyrics. If you just let me tap on the desk, I could rattle it out for you. Um, it's it's insane, man. The song's produced by Kanye West. Um, this is Talib's first solo album, so he had put out uh, the OG um, Black Star record with Most Def, mm-hmm. and they put that out, and then they wanted to do a follow-up, but Most Def was filming um, the Italian job, so he wasn't around. And so he was like, all right, cool. He's like, well, I'll do some other stuff. He did some other features, and then he was like, yeah, man, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to work on it. And he was like, I got this new up-and-coming producer, Kanye West, and he's going to make my record, and we're going to do it. And, this is pretty famous Kanye, by the way. I mean, yeah. this is this is when Kanye had an artist development deal with Rockefeller. He was not an artist. He didn't have yeah. an artist deal. Yeah, no, nothing had come out of his yet. So, and despite uh, Talib being considered an underground artist, they hit number 21 on the Billboard charts. Mm-hmm. And he got the single out by writing it, telling everybody that Kanye West was the kid that had produced half of the blueprint. Yeah. Made his new record and mailed CDs to radio stations and was just like, just give it a spin and let me know what you think. I'm, this was the biggest song in New York for like two whole summers. Wasn't Didn't he go on Chappelle show too? He did. He went on the Chappelle show and performed this song. Yeah. Um, and it blew up huge. Yeah. Um, Chappelle was immediately with it, especially with Chappelle being so tight with most death. Mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, that was the original carpool karaoke too. Was... Um, Dave Chappelle and Most Def. Oh yeah, doing yeah. Uh, doing uh, from the ecstatic. What's yeah, that uh, close to the edge. Yeah, um, that's really true. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's got to be where it came. From. Dave Chappelle just driving around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, it's, that was such a fucking uh, the sh- music on the Chappelle show was amazing. Kanye was also on it there. It was. That's Common. where they they also did two words on there on the top of a double decker bus. And Freeway was quoted as saying, this is the coldest shit I've ever done in my life. It's amazing. Because he's like, it was like December. And we were driving around on an open top bus. Like, <laughs> around like New York City. Like, and he's like freezing our asses off. And he's like, because we had to do it like eight times. Yeah. Um, but also the biggest thing I think for this song is that this was named President Obama's number one song on his Get Stuff Done playlist. Um, that Fucking he said, amazing! He said this is his song, and I was like, dude, that's huge, man. That's huge, high praise. 
and the coolest I think a president has ever seemed to me. Uh, yeah. And a president was like, you're like, oh, what's your number one song to throw on your playlist when you got to get stuff done? Oh, probably tell him Quale. Yeah. Like, excuse uh, me? Excuse me? Did you repeat that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you're a president. Like, you can't be cool. Yeah, and guess what I do? Get shit done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was huge, man. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough good things about this. Uh, the choir in here is just, it's, it's too perfect, man. It's, it's just keeping the chorus. Mm-hmm. There's other singers on here. I couldn't find any of the credits for this. Yeah, some of them are tough. Um, yeah. Old Kanye, I mean, it was pretty much, when you were trying to find credits, it was just like Kanye West. Yeah, as we like, just stated, uh, you know, he didn't always do things, uh, you know, the way you would want. Or I, I mean, I'm sure people got paid, but it just it's not yeah. searchable for who did what part, who's singing what part. Yeah. So if he probably just hired studio musicians to do parts of it, but I don't even I couldn't even find out from where it's sampled. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that was available. So we're just gonna have to let it lie as yeah. as my favorite song to involve a choir. So Dave, yeah, what do you got for number one? All right. Before I do that, I forgot to mention that Dark Fantasy and Jesus Walks by Kanye West are also amazing. Examples of the choir being included, and Kanye does it quite frequently. I just I happen to go with Ultralight Beam over the other two, though. Dark Fantasy does have my one of my favorite Kanye lyrics of all time: "Too many Urkels on your team, that's why your wind's low." Perfect. <laughs> um, all right, so up at number one for me is my just like you expressed the first song that came to my mind. My favorite use of gospel or choir music in a song. Is B.O.B. Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast. This might be top 10 songs for me of all time. I don't know. It's fucking amazing. And I haven't got a chance to talk a lot, a lot about Outkast as far as I can recall. Um, this song's fucking amazing. I'm bummed. I was, I was trying to save this song for if we did an episode about uh, songs from video games. Because oh. this was on Dave Mira's BMX. Uh, the the bike version of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yes. What a surprisingly fun game. Yeah, I mean it was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater with bikes. So yeah. like it was great. Introduce everybody to Woodward. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, great. So this comes off of their fourth studio album, Stankonia. Came out in two thousand. Holy shit, roll. Twenty two years ago, Jesus Christ. Um Conveniently for them, uh, the song was recorded and released before the September 11th attacks because if they tried to put this out afterwards, we would never have heard the song. Um, you know, you couldn't title a song Bleed American, as we've discussed in other episodes after yeah. that. Um, you certainly could not have written a song called Bombs Over Baghdad right before we went to war. Right before we shot Bombs Over Baghdad. Yeah, exactly. Um it's it's a really like stylistically cool song. I mean, it's got a guitar solo in it. It's got the choir. The choir is part of the chorus. It's got their just like mile a minute rapping in this song. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think the big thing for me is that it's like two twenty beats per minute. One fifty five. Okay, it felt Which fast. Is, yeah, it's still very. That's very fast. Yeah, because you can't really have that. Like yeah. two twenty, you could be like, okay, well, it's this. If you have like. It can it can be deceptive if it's either way. Um, it's so very, it's very fast. It's very fast, uh, and the rapping is very fast. The dancing in the music video is fucking amazing. I was doing it around my house the entire time in preparation <laughs> for this. Um, so Big Boy was quoted as saying, uh, 
when they were describing the song and how unique it is and, and the different sounds and everything they were going with, Big Boy was quoted as saying, quote, everybody's been doing music like they all have the same formula. E equals MC2. They get a beat, an MC, somebody sing the hook and go platinum. Where's the music going to go when everybody's trapped in the same repetitious flow? End quote. Um, and I think this is a great kind of break from the mold yeah. of what... It, because they were, for all intents and purposes, kind of a pop act at this point. They're definitely trap artists, but they were the biggest group in the world at this point when this album came out. Yeah. I mean, this was huge. It was huge. Um, so for them to be like kind of trying to break the mold is, is huge. Especially and, when Miss Jackson dropped first. Yeah. And then this came out, you were like, mm-hmm. holy shit, dude. Yeah, this so is like I don't know anyone that doesn't turn up to this fucking song. It's fucking amazing. Now the guitar solo is playing. So some, some, some accolades for this. In um, let's see here, where, where do I want to start with this? So it, it's got some pretty ridiculous praise. Um, a lot of people said it was the best one of, if not the best song of the two thousands. Um, yeah, Rolling Stone had it twenty one. Uh, let's see who I else. I think Pitchfork here. put this Pitchfork at, number one. at number one. Yeah. Um, yeah, The Ringer and The Guardian both say it's number one uh, of their songs of all time, too. Um, yeah, it's Stuart Berman of Pitchfork said it was the best song of the 2000s in 2009 when, uh, during, during some publication. And um, obviously, this song became very popular during the Iraq War because that was only a few short years later. Um, and there were um, a lot of soldiers that ha- requested it being played, which I think is a little <laughs> probably missed the mark there. Um, but they're both Big Boy and Three Stacks say that they they didn't agree with the war, and this song was not supposed to be about that. And, and yeah, that's like not it had nothing was. to do with it, it, and it was used inappropriately by people to kind of celebrate something that they didn't believe in. Um, they were both against the war, and um, Andre 3000 said that he was trying to write a song about how, this isn't a quote, but it's kind of paraphrasing that um, it was it was a metaphor for the lack of dedication in the music industry. Um, I don't think they can see into the future, so I think it was just kind of like a weird set of circumstances. Yeah. But that certainly leads to the mystique and the popularity of it, I guess, since then. I think it's probably got a little bit of uh, Born in the USA to it, where there's people kind of like singing it, not really understanding that it's not about what they think it's about. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't change a fucking thing for me. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. I can't say enough good things about it. It's literally a perfect song. It's one of my favorite songs ever written. My favorite Outcast song. I play it as frequently as I possibly can. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely the best. It's, it's it's tough. It's a tough. It's probably my second favorite Outcast track. Okay. After uh, Elevators. Oh, great um, one. But like it's it's easily There's so many good ones. It's the most hype Outcast. Track. Oh, it's like, easily it's, the most hype. Yeah. It's when like I could throw that on at like if you threw that on at like a party or something like yeah, it, it goes immediately nuts. goes to a ten. Yeah, it's you can't like, be throwing. Well, I guess you could throw Rosa Parks on, but that probably wouldn't hit it's quite as well as bombs over Baghdad. And I think bombs over Baghdad too is everybody knows that song. Yeah. Like when it hits that, just the little like one, two, one, two, three, chill. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, Oh fuck. It immediately blows up. Um, it's so great. Good. Yeah. Perfect song. All right. This was a fun one. It was definitely a challenge. Um, especially with us 
taking a little bit of a hiatus due to some vacations. Um, but we're back on the saddle, ready to hit this with full steam. Back on our bullshit. Back on our bullshit and, um, and ready to keep this going regularly. Um, so... Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And when you do, please leave a review so that we know what you like about it and what you want to hear more of or hear differently. And to, you know, let us know what your your favorite songs are um, for this and, and the other list that we've created so far. Dan, tell everyone where they can find us. All right. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram under at D&D Music Factory. That's the letter D, the letter N, and the letter D again, followed by Music Factory. Uh, you can find me personally at, at LukewarmSteveAustin on Instagram and D.